Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas podcast, Tuesday night edition of the pod. Um, I'm still excited to see what the Atlanta Falcons look like in 2021. TBD. We'll see. I'm excited, but when that day comes, I'm excited to watch uh, the Atlanta Falcons. But someone who unfortunately had their team play on Sunday and lose in just what can only be described as the most Minnesota Vikings way possible of losing that game on the road in a just a, a tough atmosphere. That week one road road test in Cincinnati with those diehards and those white jerseys and the Joe Burrow to Jamar Chase connection. It's Eric Thompson of the Daily Norseman. Eric, good evening, sir. How are you? Wait, that wasn't the fourth preseason game? I'm pretty sure they just added the extra week at the end there. Yeah. Well, that's how Arthur Smith treated it because uh, he did not uh, play any of his starters all preseason and it, it showed. It, it, it showed. Yeah, the Vikings looked really terrible in the preseason. They held most of their people out as well and they continued to look pretty terrible for the majority of their week one matchup in a very winnable game but the the vikings insisted upon beating themselves uh over and over and over again especially with all the penalties and uh, basically being behind the chains for 55 of the 60 minutes of that game so yeah not the greatest start for our teams this season is it no but you have a lot more optimism like i think things are really bad i wrote about the falcons today and just like it's kind of amazing how they tried to do the exact same thing the Saints did with the end of the Drew Brees stuff, and it just has gone the complete other way. Um, and this is, it's just, it's hard to retool. It's hard to continue fighting with a aging quarterback with high salary. And when you miss on certain draft picks, like you just, it, it's bad. You can't, it, you can't miss in the offensive line. You can't miss in the pass rush spots. You can't miss a corner you can't miss it skill positions and the falcons didn't miss on skill positions but that's about it that's about it the the saints hit on ramsick they hit on armstead they hit on their trade for unger they hit on kamara they hit on jordan they hit on rankins they hit on Lattimore for brief month they took a big flyer on demario davis like you can go up and down the list but they they did the right kind of stuff to keep this breeze thing going and winning 10 plus games the last four years and all that kind of stuff you have something similar in green bay but Green Bay looked even worse than your team on Sunday. <laughs> so, like, that's what I'm saying is you have you have optimism. Like, the defending Super Bowl champs are in my division. The New Orleans Saints, who look even better than a year ago and have a new added dimension with Jameis with his downfield threat. Like, Carolina's defense is legit. At the very least, Sam Darnold still sucks. But, like, I don't know. The Falcons are very clearly the worst team in the NFC South this year. We're on our way to another top four pick. Um... Your team, I don't know. I, I think I think you're. It's it's going to be a, a real, real trash division uh, up there in the NFC North. You're still in there. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, technically, the Vikings are in first place in the <laughs> North, thanks to the fact that they lost to an AFC team. And I think like I I literally looked it up because I was just so depressed. I'm like, is there anything to that? You're first to, in to special teams. It? Yes. Oh, that is absolute. That's the most astounding thing to come out of that week is that the punter, the new punter is great. The new kicker made a 50 plus yard field goal that when they needed it, they didn't screw up anything. That's uh, that's incredible. But yeah, I mean, it's I, I find it very hard to believe that the Packers are going to be that bad for the rest of the year, but they obviously have some problems. So, yeah, I mean, this they could be the new NFC East and maybe the, the 500 record that 
Kirk Cousins has made a career out of uh, will be good enough to sneak in there out of the NFC North. But yeah, I mean, there are still a lot of question marks and there are a lot more problems. And you know, the the Vikings head coach Mike Zimmer, I believe, has the second best odds of being the first fire. First coach Explain this to me. What is this? Why does every Vikings fan hate Mike Zimmer? I don't understand. That dude just wins. You're never going to be awful. He's going to bounce back. Like, I don't know what we're doing. It, he's it's, not He's yeah, not doing I, this to the offensive line. This is not on him. This is not on him with this offensive line. Yeah, I mean, there. It, I'm still personally, especially with what other options are out there. Right. Yes, you're, the Vikings are not going to be terrible this year. As, as bad as that week one loss was, they, their uh, expected play, their EPA was right in the middle of the league. It was actually better than the Bengals, but when you have uh, 12 accepted penalties and I think f- at least 15 of them called on you during the game, there at least a few declined. It's just, yeah, they aren't going to be terrible. But I think the, the Vikings fans are really tired of just being kind of stuck in that mediocre middle and again a lot of that is not Zimmer's fault but I think a lot of it's I don't know it's if it's just his his gruff demeanor is kind of wearing thin on a lot of Vikings fans and it's it's just kind of the same old story and it's really hard you know even if the NFC North is terrible this year it's hard to see the Vikings especially after that week one performance winning more than you know 10 games at the way they're currently constructed and sure if they sneak in the playoffs and losing the wild card is is that good enough is it's the vikings have been there you know every odd year with mike zimmer so i think that's the the biggest thing is it's just more and more the same it's still the revolving door of offensive coordinators now it's clint kubiak who i don't think had uh clint with a k yes yes the alliteration of kubiak (laughs) um it's it's the, I think the jury is there still a king because... Kubiak in this family. <laughs> I, don't, I don't believe so, but that'd be, that'd be great. Cash with a K, like that right, Little yeah. League World Series kid. Yeah, Chris with the K, maybe something mm. like that. Everything. Uh, it's there. You know, the jury's still out because again, they were behind the chains. They had. I went back and counted after the game. The Vikings had twenty plays that counted. Some of them were also negated by penalty, but twenty offensive snaps that were from longer than 10 yards out from so second and third down uh, mm. and a couple first downs after penalties too they so 20 of their 83 snaps were from longer than 10 yards to go and that is just not how this team is built they're still a very much run first team and they just they they couldn't bubble first too depending on who you ask well, yeah, the, we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll we'll touch on the quote unquote fumble there at, at the end of uh, or at the end of overtime. But again, if you're if you're leaving it in the the referee's hands at the at the powerhouse Cincinnati Bengals, yes, uh, it, it's it's your own fault. Oh, and did you it's see a jungle up favorite? there? They say. Well, you know, they had all the problems with the false starts and everything. And mm-hmm. Zach Taylor had the the best unintentional shade. Oh, I saw this. Yes. About, about Garrett Bradbury, who he's who said, you know, he wasn't used to the crowd noise and he hasn't played in very many big games like that. First of all, he played at Ohio State, <laughs> kind of a big school. They had a lot of big, you know, they played some some big teams there. They even played and in the big all, house from time to time. This yeah, this is his third year. So they had fans in 2019. They played at Seattle. They won a playoff game at New Orleans. So I think that's not, I don't think that was the biggest problem. They just looked unprepared for uh, the the majority of that game, and it, it they they couldn't do quite enough to to overcome it. Who are you more concerned about, Rashad Hill at left tackle or uh, or Bradbury at center? Oh yes, is I, I guess Bradbury at center because hopefully the reinforcements are coming within a few weeks to, with rookie tackle Christian Darrisaw. They you know Rashad Hill 
is a solid swing tackle. He's a good backup tackle, but he's proved why he's only a good backup tackle and not a starting left tackle. He just got dominated in week one by it. Pretty average, I'd say, average at best def- defensive line from the Bengals. And so if Derrissaw can, uh, you know, he's been out with injuries for the majority of the, the preseason. He, he, the good news is he isn't on IR, so it, it seems like he could be back within a few weeks. But again, he, he doesn't have very much playing time, and he's a rookie left tackle. He'll have his growing pains of his own. But there really isn't much of an answer right now behind Garrett Bradbury. They're they're stuck with him at least for this year. And again, they they spent a first round pick. It's, this offensive line as poor as it's been for the last five years. Every starter except for uh, new right guard Oli Udo is a first or second round pick if, if, when Darasaw comes back, of course. So they have spent the the capital. But like you said, when you can't miss on these, and the Vikings continuously keep missing, on, especially on the offensive line picks. That is Rick Spielman's, you know. For better or worse, I think overall, again, Spiel- but we've talked Spiel- about this. It seems dumb. Like the Lions have this incredible. They just stumbled into this elite, just right. a preposterous elite offensive line that's wasted on Jared Goff and friends. Like it just seems like if I was Spielman, I'm like losing my mind. Like how is this working? What? There's no way they're better at identifying offensive line talent than me. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's it's whiff after whiff, and again, it, and when. The, in a vacuum and when the all these moves are made right. and all these draft picks are made they're like you can't we i was super excited about the garrett bradbury he was yes a really yeah, like that was again it's it's hard to you know to maybe justify drafting interior linemen right away in the first round but bradbury had all the first round grades he was supposed to be really good and he's still a pretty good run blocker it's just the he he doesn't have the strength or the leverage. He just gets completely bull rushed in, in in pass coverage a lot of times, and it's just I don't know. It it's it's incredibly frustrating. It 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 feels like we're kind of stuck in gro- Groundhog Day with the Vikings, and I think that's really where the whole the the descent for Zimmer comes is that we've seen this movie too many years in a row, and I I, I know there that it's it's the there isn't an alternative for Zimmer. It's just more of a let's blow it up because this isn't working. Right. Sick of kind of being stuck in the mediocre middle. I mean, this the whole thing is like our teams, like we've invested, like I can't be mad at the Falcons or what they've invested in. Like they've made the offensive line and defensive line a priority. They just missed on McKinley. They missed on Beasley. They missed on Dante Fowler. They missed on everybody. And then they stumble on a Grady Jarrett in the back half of a draft. And then they, um, they invested in Matthews. They invested in trading for Mac. And then they invested in Matt Hennessy. They invested in Jalen Mayfield, who you can talk about Bradbury all you want. Jalen Mayfield, literally, Mike, he almost ended Matt Ryan's career on Sunday. He literally almost ended his career. There's the iconic meme of Ryan just on his stomach as yeah. Mayfield's looking over him. Like, Mayfield almost got him killed against the Eagles front four. That's not like, yeah, cool. Vinny Kurt, Fletcher Cox and Vin, like all that, like that's fine. But like, it's not a, it was not a really fearsome unit. It was just our offensive line was that bad. And Matt Ryan was getting killed over and over again. But like they drafted McGarry and Lindstrom in the first round together. They've spent draft capital on this. They just drafted the wrong guys. And if they drafted Ramsick and Armstead or, like uh, who the the who the lines have drafted, then like then things are different. But then you look at Taylor Luan, he gets destroyed and like pins a tweet about like how this is not acceptable and like I got to stop podcasting and get back on uh, get back on the peanut butter sandwich and whole milk grind because I'm looking too thin out there for Chandler Jones. 
Um, I don't know. It, it's just hard for me to get super upset about these teams with this stuff because I'm like, it just seems like it's such a crapshoot with offensive line and defensive line drafting. Like, we just... I don't know. It seems like it's a crapshoot, and you're just rolling the dice and hoping that you you picked right. Because if you do, you might have a title contender on t- title contender on your hand. But if not, you're you're like us, and the Vikings and the Falcons are like, I don't even know what to do with this. Yep. I mean, sometimes it that's really what it comes down to, and that's we you you hinted at the Saints. You know, they kept on reloading, even though they were up against the salary cap for it seemed like a better part of a decade. That 2017 draft of theirs absolutely turned their franchise around. And basically, with, with the Falcons and the Vikings, we're just hoping, can we get close to something like that right. when we turn out of a draft? Like, can, can we hit you know two or three picks? That's really kind of what it comes down to. If you, if, you're, if you have the expensive quarterback that is good enough, but kind of you know not going to do it all by himself that's kind of where you're stuck unless you get the the rookie quarterback that can come out and perform right away and be cost you know cost controlled for four or five years it's really hard to if you're not hitting on these draft picks to to really compete future minnesota viking matt ryan Oh, well, I, we're still holding out for Rodgers. If he proves he's washed up this year, then the Vikings jump. <laughs> Rodgers and that, that is the way. Rodgers and Minnie would be delightful. Um, whatever happened to all the all the Vikings uh, linebackers that we all knew? The Greenways, the Hendricks. Now it's Lynch and Vigil, and I'm like, I don't know who these guys are. Bring what happened to the Iowa and Maryland Terp guys? Like you've you've I used to know all the linebackers in Viking territory for years. And I looked at this and I was like, I don't know who any of these people are now anymore. What, what are you doing to the, to the people that I knew? Where are the USC edge rushers? Where are, where are my dudes? Well, they have, I mean, they have exactly two linebackers. Eric Kendricks is still one of the best linebackers in, mm-hmm. in the league. That's great. Anthony Barr is still pretty darn good, except he has not been able to stay on the field for the last year plus. Mm-hmm. Sounds like there's a good chance that he might be back sooner rather than later, but again, he he played a game and a half last year, had, didn't play last week, and that was one of the positions that was dangerously thin before Barr uh, missed basically most of the preseason with injuries. So, yeah, it's Kendricks and a whole bunch of question marks, and they, they drafted uh, former quarterback-turned-linebacker Chaz Surratt out of North Carolina, but again, I'd my hopes aren't exactly high for him this year. So, yeah, it's a bunch of moving parts, and they they let Eric Wilson go, which was okay with me, as, as good as Wilson was in coverage uh, the last couple of years and being thrown into the, the starting lineup last year. He was a absolute liability in the run defense, and that was another thing about uh, Sunday with the Vikings, that they were supposed to have this super-duper, way-improved run defense, and Mixon still was, I think he led the league in rushing in week one so that's a little frustrating to have the, the three new defensive tackles and you're supposed to have a, a lot be a lot uh, more short up in the middle and they still got run on quite a bit so yeah it's i think the again the vikings i don't think it's going to be an unmitigated disaster but again it's it's hard to see them you know being anywhere outside of that seven to ten win range and that what are you doing there? Like it's, it's you're you're not getting the great draft picks where you can get a quarterback of the future of that range and you're not uh, com- competing for a title. So that's, it's, it's going to be really interesting to see how this year plays out. If they, you know, the, the schedule gets, it's not great up until week five because they have the, the Cardinals who looked amazing week one. They have them at Arizona this week. And then of course the Seahawks come to town the following week and Russell Wilson has never lost to the Vikings, even though they play him every single year. And then the following week is, uh, 
the homecoming of Kevin Stefanski and the Browns, who, despite losing week one like they do every single year for the last, I think, two decades, uh, they, uh, they're they probably going to be very good this year. So, the, I mean, the Vikings, honestly, right now, they could be staring 0-4 in the face, and if that happens, then all bets are off because that's at the, it is going to be full-on panic mode uh, in, in Vikings land. Yeah, but like I said, this this division's awful. Like the Bears are not winning anything this year. The Lions aren't winning any. Like you could start out horribly, and I still don't think uh, this division's going to be out of reach anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, and they did. They started one and five last year and had a pretty good chance to make the playoffs. So yeah, that's it. But it the the pitchforks are definitely going to be out if if it starts again like that this year. I I I know that uh, Zimmer and Spielman have as much confidence as you possibly can at, at this point in their in their tenures from the will family but it it's going to get really loud especially if 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 the nfc north completely sucks and everyone's stuck at around two and three or something like that maybe they survive uh past the bye week in week seven but it's if the packers actually do wake up and say oh yeah this is our division to to, to run away with if we want to then that might be a different story ultimately how do you see it going on sunday in arizona Man, like I, I don't know because this is a classic. This is everyone's all doom and gloom. Especially if you look at just week one, how great the Cardinals looked, how bad the Vikings looked. This looks like they're going to get blown out. But I know this Vikings team. I know what this is. What they do. They're they're. I I would not be surprised in the least if they had an impressive week two win, and although the the ship is righted, everything you know they they finally the they're way more on game script. They could dictate the game they can keep all, all the offensive we, uh, weapons of arizona off the field and again yes chandler jones is going to scare the living hell out of me every time that he lines up against rashad hill next year or next week but the the that secondary isn't the greatest in in arizona and the vikings definitely have a few weapons that could exploit that and if they can kind of dictate the the pace of the game and kind of control the the football and not make the myriad of mistakes that they had in week one i can definitely see him winning that one but then of course russell wilson's still coming to town and they the seahawks invent new and creative ways to come back and rip the vikings hearts out every year so but yeah again they i from week to week this team could look completely different just depending on you know on how the game unfolds but i I don't feel great about their, their chances as of right now on on tuesday i could maybe look at some some film and see if there are things to be more excited about as of right now i'd probably have to lean towards arizona but i don't again i would not be the least bit surprised if the vikings came out and was like oh this this is the team that we expected to in 2021 what can we check out from you and the good folks over there at the daily norseman this week eric well i'll have my uh weekly preview up on a thursday afternoon like usual with my uh week two nfl picks that are they can't be worse than the week one picks holy cow i got every every gamble i took was wrong and every safe pick i thought was wrong so like, it was bad so hopefully the picks are better uh and so I'll, uh, I'll have all the breakdown of the upcoming game um thursday nights i've been doing a the a vikings hot take podcast which has been a, a fun little format it's uh very around the hornish we we do put 20 minutes on the clock we ask each other three questions it's live on youtube on thursday nights uh we've been uh we're going to try to go like during halftime of the thursday night games so those are the main two things and of course um i'll probably do the q a with the uh 
the Cardinal site on SB Nation as well. So plenty of content. Hopefully it's a little more positive content coming out a week too. That's for sure. Awesome. Eric, always great checking in, man. Even when I think we can just, we, we will always have the bond over just our dumb, 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 awful franchises that suck us back in year over year. Like maybe this is the year. Maybe things are, things are fine. The off season optimism, it's snatched from us. So quickly, so quickly. But you know, we'll we'll see. We'll see what happens. At least this year, it looks like your your situation's a little bit more more uh, riveting and exciting than mine and what I have on my plate. Because it's not even just that; it's the the Vols and the and the Falcons for hours upon oh, hours. Those, of those my... poor Vols. I thought I thought they were going to come back. All right, Eric. Goodbye. <laughs> Well, I, I'm just I'm excited for the the secret base episode uh, episodes about the Vikings. Within, I'm sure they'll do that. That that'll be the next team that John Boyce and all those guys uh, terrorize the fan bases of with a with a gut wrenching history of all the things that happened to the franchise. There you go. All right, that that's it for the King of the North, Eric Thompson <laughs> and his family. The the superstars all over the Minnesota sports scene, like popping up on minnesota fc television all kinds of stuff like he's <laughs> yeah. just uh becoming a, a, a whole superstar you're getting the whole family involved now oh yeah the kids i i am definitely an over poster that that uh the cameo that they made on tv for that minnesota united game was pretty hilarious <laughs> <laughs> hey man it's the little thing it's, it's the little things eric we can follow you on twitter at eric underscore j underscore thompson go read the daily norseman.com if you have not already done so it's a great minnesota vikings blog and uh it's good stuff so eric thank you so much my friend i will talk to you very soon always a pleasure chase thanks for having me on all right hello and welcome back as the Tuesday edition of the Chase Thomas podcast rolls along where I'm now joined by someone who watches a football team that prioritizes defensive touchdowns over offensive touchdowns. It's Chad Lystico. Chad, good afternoons or good evening, rather. How are you? Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to talk about this game. I'm excited too, man. Like this was a stunner. Like I think, I mean, it's it's so weird that it's a stunner. Like, is it going to be like year twelve of Matt Canada versus or Matt Canada, Matt Campbell and Kirk Ferentz going at it, and Kirk Ferentz has won the last ten, and we're still just like, I don't know. Matt Campbell's got some dudes. I don't know. We got uh, Brees Hall Jr. in there, and I I don't know. There's something about him. There's something about playing the names that I just I like the Cyclones here, and then the the Hawkeyes do it all over again. Um, what is it about this rivalry that we just, we like to believe that it's uh, closer than it is every year? Yeah. I mean, uh, the scores have certain, certainly been close, uh, in the last four meetings now with, with Matt Campbell at charge, but, uh, Iowa, Iowa just finds a way. I mean, in, in progression, uh, the last four times, uh, Iowa was down 10 in the fourth quarter in 2017 rallied to force overtime with a last minute touchdown. Uh, wins it on a walk-off to a true freshman wide receiver, (laughs) just kind of twisting the knife there. Uh, A year later in Iowa City, um, it was 3-3 deep into the second half, and Iowa just pulls away late with a touchdown. 2019, I mean, probably the most infamous of the the four games. Uh, You know, the Hawkeyes get out game by over 100 yards. Uh, There's a three-hour weather delay in the middle of it. They're down 14-6 in the... (laughs) in the second half 
and uh, you know connect on a third and 22 pass and ultimately uh, win 18-17, uh, clinching the game after a punt goes off of an Iowa State, uh, the back of an Iowa State return, uh, you know, punt return guy, <laughs> and Iowa recovers the clinch. And then, of course, this year, uh, you know, Hawkeyes create four turnovers, uh, actually won this game kind of going away uh, at, you know, what was supposed to be the best, and still may be, the best Iowa State team of all time. I mean, number nine in the country. So, yeah, it's uh, I was just won the formula of, uh, you know, don't turn the ball over at all. Most miraculous stat in the series is that Iowa has not turned the ball over against Iowa State since 2015. Mm. So that's five quarters. You know, they didn't play last year, obviously, because of COVID, but uh, you, you, that's 20 quarters of of ball that Iowa has not turned it over. And you think about Iowa State turned over three three times in the third quarter alone on Saturday. Are we concerned that they're on a downward trajectory on defensive touchdowns? Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> two last, yeah, that, uh, two last week, two, one yeah, this two, week. Are we due for one. nothing next year? Or goose or next week a goose egg? Yeah. So yeah, offense better do something against Kent State. Yeah. Well, speaking of, I mean that offense. They like to they like to move. They like to spin it. Um, not very good, but you know they they try the Kent State Golden Flashes. They try up there. Um, in in your estimation, having watched a lot of Spencer Peters to this point, Chad, is he getting better than where he was when he first came in? What has he gotten better at this year? Has he gotten worse than anything? Like, what are you seeing with Spencer Petras? Yeah, that's a good question. I think we I think we still have to reserve judgment a little bit. Um, in my opinion, he's faced two really tough defenses. I actually think that Iowa State defense uh, could be really, really good. I mean, they've got just about everybody back from you know a team that won the fiesta bowl and, and is no question the, the best defense in the big 12 i mean i know that doesn't mean a lot but um i think it was a good defense i mean it's, it's a defense that's given iowa fits that said petrus you know has only completed 24 of 48 passes this season for 251 yards uh the, the thing he's improved the most on is uh ball control uh, he's on an eight-game winning streak. I mean, you, you got to give him a little credit for that. Are all against Power Five competition, and uh, has only thrown two interceptions in those eight games. So that's pretty good. I mean, two interceptions over 32 quarters. Uh, the way Iowa plays with with a really good defense, uh, one that led the country yards for play against a year ago, and, and seems to be on that you know about the same pace this year. You know that they don't ask him to do a lot. And so the thing they ask him the most is don't turn it over, <laughs> especially against good teams. Uh, and, and he's done that. So you got to give him some credit where credit's due. That said, I don't see a lot of areas where he's gotten better uh, other than, like I said, uh, he's taking care of the football. Uh, you can't even say he's necessarily getting Iowa into the right plays because their, their offense hasn't done much yet. So it is a concern among Iowa fans. You know, you know, this, Iowa's being discussed here. You know, hey, are they – a playoff contender are they the best team in the big 10 could this be the year the big 10 west beats the big 10 east you know i think for iowa to get to that point you know they can't rely on a defensive touchdown every week they're going to have to get something from the offense eventually if you had to point out what this offense is humming on what what they're getting right what looks good what makes sense what gives you belief that they can run the run the gambit in the big 10 what is it well, they've got good. 
they've got good players. Uh, the center, Tyler Linderbaum, is the best in the country. Um, I mean, you, you probably heard it on the broadcast the other day. I mean, the, the coaching staff say he's the best lineman they've had in 23 years. Uh, that's a great starting point. they got a first-team All-Big Ten running back in Tyler Goodson. He's really good. Uh, the problem is they're a little bit young at tackle right now. Uh, they're starting a freshman at left tackle, starting a new guy uh, at right tackle that really hasn't played well yet, so they need to find some answers yet. They do get uh, their starting right guard, fifth-year senior, uh, very, very highly rated by PFF. They get him back this week. He, <laughs> you may have seen the headline. He broke his foot uh, jumping off hay bales. At yes, the farm and a very Iowa yet. injury. <laughs> Yes, very much so. Well, he's actually back this week, so that should help solidify things a ton uh, because they were, they were also starting a new guy uh, at right guard. So uh, they've that's where their problem has been. They've got a, a terrific tight end in Sam Laporta, uh, and, and that's kind of where I think they can make some ground. Uh, Luke Lachey, he's young, but he's a good tight end as well. And then uh, they do have some good receivers um, they just haven't really gone to them yet because they've been, they've, frankly, they've been ahead, you know, 31-3 at half against Indiana, and they were ahead 11 points, you know, for, for most of the game, at least against Iowa State. And they just, that's what Kirk Ferentz does. He just goes into, we're not going to lose the game on offense because our defense is that good. So I think there's, I think there's a lot of upside on the offense based on all the things I just said there. The clones outgained Iowa three thirty nine to one seventy five, but ultimately it did not matter. Um, was this about what you expected going into Saturday? That kind of result. Um, I picked Iowa State to win, uh, so I was, but I was, but I wasn't surprised um, that Iowa did it just because they've done it um, the last several years when you know everyone's thinking Iowa State might win. Um, it's just the way Iowa plays, and, and Iowa does have an an amazing punter. I mean, I know that that's scoffed at. And I think, I think when teams are, are going to examine Iowa, which they're going to get put under total scrutiny, you know, because they're the fifth ranked team in the country right now. And they might not look that pretty on paper, but the, I mean, it is a real thing to flip a field with a punter and a defense. Uh, Iowa punted in the third quarter against Iowa state from its own six yard line. Okay, that was a little fluky that the punt returner didn't pick it up, but it went 70 yards. <laughs> and then the defense uh, uh, recorded three straight tackles for loss. And then Iowa got it back on a punt, punted it back. Now Iowa State's on its own six. So literally in one exchange, you went from your own punting from your own six to the other team starting at its own six. And then right after that is when Iowa got its defensive touchdown, very first play. So that's kind of the formula. Uh, in terms of tilting the field. So uh, that is just the way Iowa plays. And and here's one more just crazy stat for you. And I, I just can't believe this is true. But it is. The last three times that Iowa has been held to 200 yards or less, which is a, that's a low number. Mm-hmm. For a slow Especially in today's game. Yeah. The last three times Iowa has been held to 200 yards or less, it's won the game. And not only has it won the game, it scored 27 points in each of those games, <laughs> and they're all against Power 5 teams. So they, they find ways to score points, whether it's on special teams, defense, uh, taking advantage of really short fields, and field goal kicking. So uh, they're really good in all of those areas. Um, and so 
you got to give Iowa credit for doing those things well, uh, because you know if you look at their scoring, I mean they're out, you know, they're averaging thirty point five points a game. That's a lot better than the, the yardage totals. That's wild. The, the Iowa Hawkeyes, they just they seem to me to be this year like what I thought Wisconsin was going to be. And I thought it was either Iowa or Wisconsin. There was something sitting there, and Penn State's like the big wild card, depending on how you feel about Sean Clifford. But I don't know. Like Iowa, like can they score enough to to beat Ohio State in a Big Ten title game? Do they have that in them? Are they going to get Northwestern, where like we had that whole thing where it's like, oh, Northwestern's defense. What right. could they what could they do here? But we're all like that offense still stinks. Pat Fitzgerald keeps keeps this OC year after year the loyalty why are we doing this why are we pretending this game's not going to be a boat race and then it's a boat race like Iowa might be a more souped up version of that but based on what you've seen in beating a, a top 10 program like Iowa State right now is it enough to make you believe and make Iowa fans believe that if the chips fall where they may and they get the Buckeyes in December that they can score enough to to hang even if it means four defensive what? touchdowns in this game yeah, right. Uh, well, here's what I'd say about about uh, trying to face Ohio State. And obviously we're talking about way down the road. I mean, Iowa hasn't won a Big Ten West since 2015, even though they've been very, very close <laughs> three times. Um, they've, the last time they played Ohio State, they beat them 55-24. That was in 2017 with a sophomore quarterback. And they didn't, weren't that great offensively that year. Um, and, and honestly, the last, the last two – Actually, the last three years, by the end of the season, Iowa, Iowa's team was playing as well as, as anybody in the Big Ten, except maybe Ohio State. So I think they've, I think this is a team that that knows how to play out Ohio State. Uh, the last time, uh, you know, other than the win, the, the last three times they played them, they pushed them to the limits. Uh, it's just, it's it's a good matchup for Iowa for whatever reason, just because they play. Uh, a defense that Ohio State doesn't see that much. They're just so fundamentally sound, and they make you be patient. And Ohio State doesn't want to be patient. I mean, Iowa literally makes you. But I, but do, the question is, do they have enough offense? I I do. I'm not saying they're going to, but I do think, having watched Iowa since I was a young child in the '80s, <laughs> um, but and and especially since uh, uh, Kirk Ferentz took over, you know, 23 years ago, this is a team that. Typically, the offense starts really, really slow in September. That's why Ferentz does not like to start with these tougher games. Um, so they usually get better as the season goes on. And so I'd say just give it time. We will see how it plays out. Definitely not sold on Petrus. Uh, you know, they uh, his backup, Alex Padilla, is interesting to Iowa fans. Because he's, a, he's a guy that can make plays off schedule, and Petrus, to date, is not good at that. So we will see how this plays out. Who knows? Iowa may have a new quarterback by the time, you know, December 4th rolls around. But um, I do think in general, speaking from history, Iowa's offense does gradually get better. And I think you just have to like where the defense uh, can go because it's already off to a great start. Not a lot of love for Deuce Hogan. <laughs> the fans love Deuce Hogan. It's an yeah, amazing name. It's the most Hogan. Texas quarterback name I've heard since. Let me check my notes here. Hudson Card. There you go. They're they're amazing. Deuce Hogan. When I saw that name pop up a while ago, um, back and I was like, oh, blonde, long hair, Deuce Hogan. He seems too too cool for for Iowa quarterbacks. This is not going to work. I mean, there's there, there's always um, who is the number five? Why am I blanking on his name? Not Tate Martell. What is uh? 
Oh my goodness, you pity LSU in the ball game. Why am I blanking on this? Tate? What was his last uh, name? What am I why am I losing this guy's name? Iowa quarterback Tate. You should know this. Why am I blanking oh, on him? Tate. I thought I thought you were talking about Ohio State. Yeah, Drew Tate. Drew Tate. Drew Tate. That did not sound right. Yeah. I was saying I hear like it was one of those names where I was like, Drew Tate does not sound right. It's not Drew Tate. No. That was the most fun Iowa quarterback, I think, uh, during my my <laughs> sports upbringing. Yeah. Love he me was some a, he Tate. was unconventional for Iowa standards. Yeah, he was kind of a freewheeling guy. So, um, Brad so Banks. Yeah, Iowa kind of likes that game manager type. So Bring back Brad we'll Banks. See. Bring back Brad yeah, Banks. You know. Get those guys back in there. Let's do that. Too many of the same old, same old. Too many, too many Ricky Stanzies for my liking. Um, last thing on this on this game. Immediately after Hankins' interception, Petrus went seven for seven for eighty-three yards. It was really a, a big drive for him and what he needed to do at that point. Did you notice anything particular on that stretch and like what changed with the Hawkeyes after that? Do you think that was a pivotal moment and that was something that got Petrus on track? What do you remember about that 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 series of events for them? Yeah, I think that's a that's a good thing to bring up there because um, you know they that was pretty encouraging. Uh, it was a three nothing game. Uh, Iowa hadn't done anything in the first quarter on offense, but uh, they, you know. But what really changed is Petrus started uh, throwing on first down. I mean, that came hmm. from Brian Ferentz, obviously. Uh, he, uh, you know, Kirk Herbstreit, even when I rewatched the game on the broadcast, I mean, he even talked about, you know, why that is uh, more successful. It's because you're not facing a pinned back pass rush. They might be expecting run. It just looks like Petrus is a lot more comfortable on those first down plays where he can trust his reads and maybe not face that you know, second or third down pass rush pressure. So that seemed to work pretty effectively. And he made some nice throws. He really did. Um, and and he's done that. I mean, over the over the course of his last eight starts, all you know, like I said, all wins. He's had some really nice moments. Uh, it's just a. Uh, it's just that uh, sometimes, any when he gets flustered, the play just kind of freezes up, and so that's going to keep showing up on film. Um, but when you when he can he can drop back and get rid of the ball, the magic number is two point five seconds. If he can get rid of the ball in two point five seconds, he's a pretty effective quarterback, pretty accurate. And I was got like I said, I I do feel like Iowa's got some pretty good receivers. You know, they always have tight ends. Tyrone Tracy Jr. hasn't really been used yet. I think Charlie Jones uh, really has started to emerge. So there's some stuff to build on there. But you just you know at some point you're gonna have to see it over four quarters, and that's gonna be the if this is going to be a playoff contender or a Big Ten contender, you know that they are going to have to have some offense at some point to go with this defense. All right. Well, I'm excited to see what happens there. A lot of optimism in Hawkeye country. Big win for them this weekend. Definitive win against the rivals, um, the Cyclones. Uh, what can we check out from you this week uh, across Hawkeye Central? Yeah, it's um, hawkcentral.com. Um, I'll you know, I, I write for the Des Moines Register, you know, Iowa's biggest newspaper, and uh, I'm writing about, uh, I'm actually writing about the offense. So uh, you can check that out, um, why it's not time to panic just yet, and uh, kind of more about uh, how the Hawkeyes are going to handle uh, this number five ranking because, you know, Iowa's had uh, five top ten finishes under Kirk Ferentz. So they, they've had high rankings before, but never this early in the season. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, how <laughs> – how they sustain that or, or can they sustain that over the course of these next, you know, two to 10 weeks. We'll see how long they can keep it going. 
All right. Well, keep up the great work. Thank you so much for making the time tonight. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, we'll have to check back again when they uh, when they knock off the Buckeyes in December. <laughs> Sounds good. You called it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks, Chad. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.